Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim. And my name is Marshall. Getting down over there, Marshall. Yeah, I'm just grooving. Like yeah, a nice that beat. Intro. Yeah, the nice intro beat. music. Mm, yeah. It's good. Of all the music I've ever done in my life, that's probably the most played song I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love it. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. fun. That's fun. <clears throat> all right. So today... Mm. We didn't even talk about this ahead of time. We'll just do it on the air. We got it. So, so we've we've started looking at other religions, mm-hmm. where they come from, mm-hmm. in an episode, what they believe, in an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, today we're going to do all in one. All in one. Okay, good, good, because that's where I was. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to do probably what some might consider a niche thing. Yeah. And, and I would say. Uh, Niche may be to the point of questionable in some circles, but it is it is gaining ground. Oh yeah, and so it might be one of those things where we're just like way ahead of our time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, we just have all this foresight. We do. Uh, it also might be because there's a local presence. Yep. And so for that, we thought, um, let's go ahead and hit on it. So yeah. we're going to be talking about Baha'i. Baha'i. Yeah, the Baha'i faith, um, which apparently is how they want it referred. Is the Baha'i faith? You don't call yeah. it Baha'iism, apparently. I don't know why. You know what? I, I I would say as we talk through their worldview, I think I think it would probably settle into the whole like Baha'iism sounds like a more concrete thing, right? Than what? It sounds more dogmatic than they want to be. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would, uh, I would yeah. concur with that. And so the the local presence mm-hmm. uh, here in Stratford. For those of you here in in Stratford, uh, or those of you who just regularly walk the streets of Stratford on Google Earth, because you wish you were from Stratford, <laughs> uh, it, on Ontario Street, uh, right behind Popeyes. Yeah. Uh, this podcast is not sponsored by. But if they Popeyes, want to. But you know, if anybody has any connection, Louisiana fast. <laughs> Love it. Uh, right behind there is a school. There is small private school. Mm-hmm. Um, that is specifically a Baha'i school. Mm. And uh, down Water Street, almost to Upper Queens mm-hmm. Park, there is a huge mansion. Yeah. Big old house. Yeah, that is the the dormitories yep. for these students, mm-hmm. right? So there's this very small school with a very big, and it, it's not the best kept place, but it is yeah. really nice. Every time I, I gave one of their students a ride home in the rain once, mm-hmm. so I was like, I was driving. Uh, home from the office and it was like torrential rain yeah and there's this kid he looks like i don't know 16 17 um and uh i'm just i'm like you know what i would hate to be walking in this so i pull over put the window hey buddy do you need do you need a ride he's like yeah 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 and so he hops in anyway so i find out he goes to this school he lives mm-hmm. at that house he's from portugal mm-hmm. and he's already been signed to a professional um soccer club uh, FC Benfica, if there's any soccer fans out there, and he's already been signed, and he so he's literally like he's going to school and doing like some kind of soccer training here until he he can go back and then join their their junior team and 
yeah. So anyways, yeah, that was a random connection I had to that school, but it was just really neat to be like, oh, wow, that's that's really cool. I don't think his family's necessarily Baha'i, but that is the philosophy behind the school. Right, right. So there are, there are kids literally from all over the world oh, yeah. coming to Stratford for this tiny little school, uh, because not because it teaches the Baha'i faith, mm-hmm. but because it operates under a set of principles. Right. Right. So the, the connection that I had where I kind of came to, to know this school, um, in some of my social media stuff, there was this whole like, uh, there's a new recording studio opening up in Stratford and they were having like an open house and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not trying to pretend like I'm a recording artist. So calm down. Anyone who thinks that like, why is Tim headed there? You um, have recorded things. I, I did do that the could intro be called song. art. I so. did <laughs> the intro song to my own podcast. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, but I was like, I am a a bit of a gear nerd and I just want to see it. Sure. Right. So I I show up to check it out and it's at the school. Nice. Uh, and, and sort of in some ways put on by the school Mm -hmm. because the school's philosophy is to just go into these kids and be like, we're going to do things morally. We're going to do things well, Mm -hmm. and we're going to do what we want to do. So what do you want to do? Yeah. And whatever whatever that kid wants to do, they're just going to figure out how to make it happen. Yeah. And so it's it's very much like a student driven curriculum. Yeah. There there's some basics that are integrated into that. Sure. But if a kid's like, I want to start a business, they're going to be like, All right, let's start a business, right? Yeah. And which is super cool. In some ways, yeah. Uh, as a as a former classroom educator, um, I also <laughs> I also have a little bit of like. Anyway, they're also dealing with uh, a much bigger budget than you were when you were teaching down in Argentina, Tim. <laughs> no, no, it's more about a philosophy of education. Oh, okay. If okay, we want to okay. go there, right? Sure, like sure, the philosophy sure. of education just being, um, I think you need more foundation before you do things like start a recording studio. Right, right, right. And and sometimes it shows. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So, so we're addressing we're addressing the Baha'i faith today. Uh, yeah, they have a local presence. They have a very international presence. Mm-hmm. So they right. are they are thinly spread. There are some parts of the world where there are they have a larger presence, but they are essentially thinly spread over the entire world. Yeah. There's not a there's not a pocket a centralized group. Not not really. Not a yeah. huge not a huge number. Like they're not the majority anywhere yeah and and in a lot of ways it's maybe the shiniest and newest of all religions oh it's definitely shiny it's pretty yeah i've like, seen like, some of their buildings they're gorgeous 1844 yep is yep. the the founding uh yeah so of, pretty of per, the baha'i faith pretty new from yeah. persia yeah yeah persia like iran but iran before before the iran we know today is right. something something to keep in mind, right? Because I think when people hear Iran, and this will come to the story, but the Iran we know today is post nineteen seventy nine Iran. Yeah. So let's just jump into the story. Yeah, then sure. And, and hit that. Yeah. So let's get into that. So, um, so the Baha'i religion. And this is a contested fact. Let's start with the contested one. It it did. I I think we could say it did emerge from within the context of Shia Islam. Mm-hmm. Right. I would agree. So so within. Within some Islamic groups, because there are factions and denominations, as you know, to use language that our our people be familiar with, there are denominations within Islam, some pretty significant, and we address that a bit in our in our um, episodes on Islam. But within some Islamic groups, there is this belief 
uh, of a coming imam, a coming teacher who is going to kind of be the successor of Muhammad and who will reinvigorate Islam. It's the more kind of mystical, spiritual side of of Islam mm-hmm. and kind of the more forward-looking, very kind of focused on eschatology end times. They're that group, but in Islam. And so it's within that kind of context that um, that a particular teacher who was originally known as Mirza Ali Muhammad began to share some some new teachings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we can get in, we'll wait to get into the. Do you want to talk about those? Te- let's let's just talk yeah. about the teachings. Yeah, we can just sort of blend it in together. We don't sure, have to divide sure. it this time okay. around. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So essentially, essentially, there's some, a, a pretty significant deviation from from what we might call traditional Islam. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and there are some common themes. Um, there's some pretty common commonalities uh, as far as kind of the, the person and identity of God in some respects. Uh, however, it's much broader. It's much less defined. It's much more kind of wel- welcoming and open than fundamentalist Islam. Yeah, it's, is. it does. It tries not to make exclusionary statements, mm-hmm. which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Is a logical inconsistency. Well, yeah. yeah, you can't you can't make non-exclusion statement, non-exclusionary statements without making an exclusionary statement. Right, right, and right? and the Muslim clerics picked up on this. So Mirza Mirza took on the title of the Bab, and so. Consider just just to kind of keep analogies going, so people can understand. The Bab is kind of like the John the Baptist of the Baha'i faith. Mm-hmm. So he was the forerunner, the precursor. Maybe the best title of all world religions. The Bab, just yeah. being known as the Bab. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd take that. So his followers were known as Babis uh, initially. So the Baha'i faith hasn't really emerged yet. It's kind of the 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 the, the seeds have been planted, um, but. For departing from fundamentalist Islam, um, he drew the the ire of the leading um, Muslim clerics in Iran. He's arrested, thrown in prison, tortured, executed. Um, a few years later, 1850. Um, and then he has a successor. And his successor was Mirza Hassan Ali Nuri, who then took on the title of the Baha Allah. And the, that Baha or Baha, I, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I'm, I'm trying, guys. Um, that's where the Baha'i mm-hmm. kind of right. t- title comes from. And uh, and he started teaching. He kind of picked up where the Bab left off and then kept going. He was arrested in 1852. And while he's in prison, he comes to this conclusion that he is the prophet and messenger of God. Not just like he is, he's the guy. Right, he's the one that the Bab was talking about, right? Right. Um, it, it's always it's always interesting to me when a person comes on of themselves and says, "Guess what? It's me." I just realized that I'm the special one, right? Which, <laughs> I'm the special. <laughs> which there is a brand there is a brand of heresy that says Jesus did the same, right? Right. Sure. Sure. Uh, but what that does is it ignores like thousands of years of prophetic statement. Mm-hmm. And, and preparation for that. Mm-hmm. It ignores um, supernatural messengers mm-hmm. coming to lay the foundations so that everyone knew before the child was even born 
that this was the child. Right, right. Right. Instead, you have a grown man come along who's in a religion and then all of a sudden he's like, wow, you know what? I think I'm the special one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's a, it's a very different notion. So I, yeah. I say it's a different notion because people will always try to draw equations, yeah. right? This, this is, is, this is just equal to what happened with Jesus, but it's, Night and day difference. Yeah, and we'll talk about the significance of of his self appointment and and what that means within the Baha'i faith, because how they how they view him and the the parallels that that they would draw between him and and Jesus and others. Right. Um, he ends up being released from prison and and sent out of Iran, and so essentially he he's living in the Ottoman Empire. Um, he moves to Istanbul, and then declares to the babbies, the people who had been following the bab, um, that he was God's mouthpiece and he was largely received. Mm -hmm. And so then starts establishing kind of building upon what this guy had already taught. So it had already kind of departed from Islam and then he kind of just takes it further. Um, and, uh, and so he would just, he would write extensively. He would kind of lay out. It's interesting because it's like, there's a bit of a this this tension in the Baha'i faith between there's there's kind of this unwillingness to really draw hard lines, but then there are still hard lines drawn on certain issues. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's an interesting kind of approach to faith in a way that's that might be unfamiliar um, and a little bit different uh, than than what yeah, but we're used to. There's also a part of it that mm-hmm. feels like a same song second verse. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm. We'll we'll get to that, and I'll I'll show you okay. I'll show you where I'll draw the whole like okay. we've we've been here before. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, thing. that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. For me, when I look at the Baha'i, I kind of think of maybe where things are going, but we'll we'll get we'll get there. So, um, he ends up passing on the reins to his son before he died, and then it's his son, and then the grandson of that son who helped to spread the teaching of the Baha'i faith across the world. Um, and they did so very, very successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the in the 60s and the 1960s, this is how recent we're talking, the movement began to grow rapidly. Um, fastest growing religion of the 20th century. And, and it's not even close. And that it really took off in the 60s mm-hmm. is it's just it's just culture being ripe for it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, especially Western culture. Especially Western culture, yeah. So it grew rapidly. It had uh, got a footprint in almost every nation of the world. Um, like literally almost every country in the world, there, the Baha'i are there. Even though there's only like five to eight million of them worldwide, um, they're spread out quite a bit. Um, and so there was a bit of a kind of homeland where, where many of these people lived, which was mm-hmm. Iran. Uh, but like I said, when the Islamic fundamentalists took over in 1979, um, they faced a lot of persecution. There was more kind of scattering. Um, they're not treated well um, by a number of the more kind of um, yeah the, the Islamic the Islamic regimes of the, right. of the Middle East. Um, today, their headquarters is actually in Haifa in Israel. Um, there's the shrine of the Bab, who was the the forerunner. Um, and who the 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 Bahala, um, he built that shrine or whatever and dedicated it. And so their yeah their headquarters is actually in uh, in Israel, which is really interesting, um, mainly because that's 
you know, the one place in the Middle East where you can actually experience true religious freedom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're unique that way. Um, so that's all I've got for the history. I don't know if you've got anything else interesting on, on that. Yeah, so so my my thought on it from part of the historical perspective on it, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that, that they're going to stand for early on is one God, mm-hmm. one religion, mm-hmm. multiple expressions. Yes. Right? That is to say, in some ways, I completely get their persecution. Mm-hmm. Because what they do is instead of claiming a thing, they commandeer everyone else's thing. Right. Right? Yes, they do. Yeah. They, they come along and they say, listen, that thing that you have is actually mine. Right. And I, I have a better version of it than you do. Right. For the Jews and the Christians in the year 600, this is exactly what Muhammad did. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to just claim your history. Yeah. But you have it wrong. Yeah. And here's the correct version of your own history yeah. and your own teachings. Yeah, I'll show you the true Jesus in, in right. the Quran, right? Because the one in the Bible is corrupted, right? Right. Yeah. And and so <laughs> and so the Baha'i faith, the Baha'i faith does this. It is a very open and accepting, harmonious. But but I would argue, I would argue passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> you so, don't really know Moses or Jesus yes. or or Muhammad like right. we do. And 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 this isn't this isn't a, a this isn't a condemnation of character. Mm-hmm. This is um the the necessity for logical consistency. Mm-hmm. And it is the even if unintended, mm-hmm. unavoidable outcome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so so what we need to do is we need to get a little uh a little heady and analytical mm-hmm. about these kinds of things and to say, can these statements actually survive logical reason? Right, right. Right? And so and so, where they come across as this absolute sort of like everyone's welcome kind of a thing, it's, it is passive aggressive in that they've commandeered everyone else's teachings, mm-hmm. made their own edits, mm-hmm. And pulled it back together. So we saw that also with Muhammad. Yeah. But they're doing it with Eastern religions. Yeah. Literally any yeah. religion that ever was, yeah. Baha'i has taken to say, yes, we agree, but what that teacher was really saying was, was. this. Yeah. So let's let's break this down a bit because I think we're 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 interpreting the impact of the thing. But I, just for our listeners' sake, you haven't had the... Hold, hold on. I, I want to do one more thing to step okay. it forward historically. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, when they do the whole one God, one religion, multiple expressions, mm-hmm. they've actually stepped further than Muhammad. There's a portion of this that's Sikhism 2.0. Okay. Interesting. Because last week we talked about yeah. the Sikh faith. Yeah. And how they do the same thing. A little bit, yeah. All of these are just expressions of the one true God. Mm-hmm. And and I, I listened to a number of Baha'i speakers this week. They were talking about things that they were doing that were groundbreaking historically. Mm-hmm. And one, one of the things that was said was they were the first to call for equality amongst men and women, which was revolutionary and unheard of in the Middle East. No, the Sikhs did. And to the point I was like... If we hadn't just finished studying Sikhism, yeah, you wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known. Yeah. But I, I, I did a lot of my study on the Baha'i thinking. Yeah. 
the Sikhs have a reason to have a beef with some of what's being said here. Yeah. Because there's some of this that, as we walk through, is just going to feel like Sikhism recycled. Mm-hmm. I Not necessarily just because the Baha was thinking like, well, they've closed the book on the guru and I can't be the guru, so I've got to do my own franchise. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it could be an independent thought. Mm-hmm. But it's not a unique set of thoughts. No, no, it's it. Yeah, it's it's trending. It it it's trending towards the same ultimate destination. There's a slightly different starting point, maybe. Right. Right. Because like Sikhism is more rooted in the origins of it are more rooted in Hinduism than right. Islam. That's, but they're they're kind of headed in the same direction. I I think I think they're the same faith, except that Sikhism has a deeper geocultural root. Yeah, they've got a, a more tangible physical presence. Right, where where for an outsider to step into Sikhism would have the barrier of feeling like cultural appropriation. Right. Whereas, uh, just in, ca- in case that's not a common term for you, cultural appropriation just means... You're an outsider dressing like someone else's culture, right. which has this sort of odd feeling of pretense, right? right? Sure. If you're just going to all of a sudden be like, "Well, I'm going to stop cutting my hair and, and wear a turban," yeah, right? And you're pasty white, yeah, right? Or or mm-hmm. you know African American or mm-hmm. whatever that isn't you know from India. There's going to be a level of that that's going to feel like. I'm just weird and putting this on. Your relatives are going to be like, you're weird and you're putting this on. What's going on, right? So there's a barrier to it. Right. This is the same mindset, mm-hmm. but without a cultural tie, mm. which makes it more accessible, I think, mm-hmm. uh, but not going to grow as quickly as mm-hmm. Sikhism because there is something to being born into a tradition yeah. that prolongs the tradition in a more... Than, than just having to accept it, right? Yeah, so there's a connection to a homeland in a, in a deeper way that is... Yeah. Yeah, that adds a, a physical thing to it. Yeah, where the yeah, so, is almost on purpose very divorced from that kind of connection. Right, so we're, we're going to dig into some of the thoughts and beliefs. Yeah. I, I just wanted to plant the seed of, mm-hmm. is this at least walking in parallel with Sikhism? And making some similar claims as we go through their yeah. beliefs. Yeah. And and one good benefit of that is not only do you have the things that we talk about in this podcast to arm you for conversation, arm, to prepare you for conversations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with someone behind, but you could also throw back to the, the Seek podcast and, and find opportunity there as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, so one of the core kind of doctrinal ideas that, uh, that, that exists within the Baha'i faith, is these three unities. So we, we've already kind of addressed them. The unity of God, mm-hmm. the unity of religion, and the unity of humanity. Right. So if we're going to kind of look at, looking at those. So God, I mean, there's a lot that the, the Baha'i would say about the person of God, like the Sikhs do, uh, like Islam does in some respects, that we would be able to easily nod our head at. One, and, and the reason I think for that is because these attributes of God, I think, come through natural revelation. They just make logical sense yes. Yes. because a God must be this way. One God, eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, almighty. But where the Baha'i would veer off from where this, they would say, but really inaccessible. Right, right. Like he's he's over there. Like he's 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 we we you know in Christianity we we acknowledge the 
the um, uh, the the grandeur and the majesty and the otherness of God, his transcendence. That's the word I was looking for, his transcendence. Um, but we wouldn't necessarily say he's inaccessible. No, we would say he's we would say he should be inaccessible, but that he made he bridged the gap. Right. And and I and I would say whereas this would compare with with previous groups we've talked about, uh, Sikhism would say the same things, but they would be agnostic as to whether or not that God can be known mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there hasn't been that personal revelation, mm-hmm. but maybe someday would come, right. I think is their anticipation. Right. Um, and, and Islam would say um, that that God is there and has made himself known, mm-hmm. but uh, he doesn't want to, he's above you and doesn't yeah. want to be your friend. Right. Yeah. And that's, just mm-hmm. to which I would say, I agree. It's just. Mm-hmm. I I think I think there's something about the Muslim view of God that says God has every right mm-hmm. to just sort of sit back on His throne and say, "You are pawns, mm-hmm. and I don't have to befriend you." All that kind of stuff. We'd be like, "That's reasonable." Yep. Oh, but yeah. that's not the heart of God. Yep. And so it's very different in that way. So, yeah. and and the Hindu side of this, like even when they try to draw the Hindu side of the understanding of God, Hinduism has like a million gods. Oh, it's yeah, it's really true. And, and even if they have a source god, it's still not yeah. we'll, monotheism. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, um, yeah. So so God is out of reach, but where they kind of come halfway as far as so then, how can we know God? How can we know anything about Him? How can we you know yeah. have any sort of relationship or understanding? God's will is achieved through prophets or messengers known as, in the Baha'i faith, as manifestations of God. Mm-hmm. So that is a title that they apply. And there's not really an exhaustive list, but there are some generally accepted ones. So figures we'd be familiar with, Adam, Noah, Krishna, Zoroaster from Zoroastrianism. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do an episode on it because it's a dead religion, but it was a big deal way back in the day. Uh, Abraham, both Isaac and Ishmael, right. the Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and then of course the Bab and Baha'u'llah himself. Yeah. So, I, I there's, there's a part of me that wondered, like, did you did you avoid the gurus because that, yeah they don't that, mention it they didn't mention that might on, cause people to go wait a minute. Well, yeah, I, I didn't notice them on the list, but that's where that's where I say it's a commandeering, right? Right, and you can understand where people would have a short patience with that. Right. It right. it's this sort of. Um, I, I would say Islam is more aggressively commandeering, mm. but because they're just going to say, no, you have it wrong and we have it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the attitude behind Baha, mm-hmm. uh, the Baha faith, and, and the pleasantness of the way the people insist on being and, and their call for openness and not exclusion is more passive aggressive, <laughs> right? Yeah. It presents itself as friendly, but it still says... Actually, that's mine. Yeah. Actually, we know your Jesus better than you do. Well, actually. Well, actually. Yeah. And, and, I, yeah, I, and if for someone of, of the Baha'i faith to tell a devout Muslim that they their interpretation of Muhammad <laughs> is better, <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to say. Like, mortally dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and and the way they do this, if you're if you're in a relationship uh, with someone that it's a part of your circle that God has placed you in, and you're having these conversations, the way that they come to this, we have a better understanding. Mm. The best thing for you to do would 
go back to the very beginning of the year's podcast when we talk about how the scripture can be known and trusted mm-hmm. because they they do a lot of like winking and out the side of their mouth being like, well, at least what we think the Bible says about this. Right, right. And they do a lot of undermining mm-hmm. the the Bible and doing the whole like, well, the Bible has obviously been corrupted. They'll take almost a secular position mm-hmm. on the corruption of the biblical texts mm-hmm. over the years because of sociopolitical, economic right. advantages that one might have. Right. Uh, we've addressed all of that and why it's nonsense. Yeah. Um, so that'd be a good place but, to... But they do take an almost secular position mm-hmm. and then claim in some ways to sort of be the filter that knows what is right out of the book and what isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And and so they're they're going to to come at this to say we know Jesus better than you mm-hmm. because your view of Jesus has been corrupted by the one document that expresses the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that was written by his friends. Right. <laughs> and and we have we have a better perspective. Yeah. On, from a guy born in 1800 in Iran. <laughs> right, right. On on what what of that is acceptable and what isn't, and and, and so it's again it's it's not a logical position to hold, mm-hmm. um, and and it requires it, it almost says throw away the Bible mm. and yeah. just trust what I feel like Jesus was. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, everything else is going to be limited or flawed, or it, it, yeah. and, and not just Jesus. Like we, no, as no. we mentioned, every no. religious leader who has ever lived, and even those yeah. who are just characters and not religious leaders. Yeah, every oh, character yeah. along the way. Right? Yeah, which is really interesting because their their belief in these manifestations of God, who again don't just include like the Buddha and Jesus and Muhammad, but like David, mm-hmm. or like or Noah, right? Like the the idea is that all of these people perfectly reflect God. Um, to the world in order to advance human morality and, and spirituality, right? So, so these manifestations of God, they come in human form, but they're really, they're superhuman in a lot of ways. They're superior to normal people and, and possess peculiar and sometimes even absolute knowledge of the world, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because like, again, some of these biblical characters and you're like, Noah did not have absolute knowledge and nor was he perfect, right? Yeah. Same with David, same, yeah. right? So in... In fact, if you don't take the writings of David, you'll hear him say over and over again, I don't know what's going on. So where the Quran kind of paints a lot of those Old Testament characters in a really positive light, what the Baha'i do is they actually make them Mm -hmm. semi-divine, which is just, right? So, so they're all, and all of them are equal in a sense because they're, they're, they're ultimately teaching the same religion. That's what the Baha'i would say. They're just, they're just giving those people at that time what they can handle. Do you have a list of the commonalities that they talk about amongst all religions? I don't have that specifically. Okay. No. So I, I, I yeah, do. And so when they when they talk about this, I, this is not a, a, an official list. This is a thing that um, I sort of put together sure. through the, the couple of resources I used. Uh, first thing you should know is anytime anyone says all religions are essentially the same, what they're doing is they're, they're claiming a... a position of authority within a conversation Mm -hmm. from a space of ignorance. Yeah. Right? Anyone who says all religions are essentially the same has no no knowledge of any religion. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And so so they're what they're what they're really coming at is to say 
uh, my uneducated outsider view of religion mm -hmm. is that you're all trying to do basically the same thing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which isn't the case no. at all, no. right? And so they would they would argue. Uh, that all religions boil down to, I, I ended up with five that I would lump together. Um, one is the golden rule. Okay. Right? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Okay. Uh, love your neighbors, yourself, those kinds of things. Sure. Uh, love for everyone. Okay. This open love for all people. Not Islam, but <laughs> all religions. Or in Hinduism. Yeah. <laughs> or in, yeah, anyways. Yeah. Um, there is something more than material life. There yeah. is a spiritual world, a spiritual sure. realm, a life beyond. I think I think that's pretty well accepted because if it wasn't, then you would be a materialist and not a religious person. You wouldn't have any need yeah. for religion. The nature of religion, that's just Demands the nature of religion. that there's yeah. something more, yeah. Um, they all have a, a, a common form of morality, I mean, kind of. It, yeah, you could get into the weeds, but the problem with getting into the weeds is they're just going to say, well, that's where it diverges. Mm -hmm. So if I can take those things that are common within the morality, then I'll say those are the things that I'm talking about. Right. And any proof that you give otherwise are the things that are the divergence right, 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 um, right. in that specific religion. Mm -hmm. uh, and they all include prayer and fasting. And so these commonalities mean that all religions are essentially the same. The interesting thing that I find in this is this is not an uncommon view, even secularly, when religions are lumped together, mm -hmm. but they are all pragmatic statements. None of them are theological statements. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so if religion is being, is understanding that supernatural world, mm -hmm. living in such a way, because even the statement on like, there's more than material life, it's so live in such a way as if there is, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they're going to say all of these characters from other religions are prophets who are bringing to us divine revelation. Mm -hmm. There should then be theological commonalities. Mm -hmm. And none of those are mentioned here. Yeah. And, and the reason is because that's where they become exclusive, and that's where they start making specific statements about who God is. Right. And so, so the Baha'i, in, a, in kind, of a, kind of a sloppy way, want to lump everyone together in the same way um, the agnostic or the atheist world would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. No, I think that's really insightful. Yeah, because the way they would they there is still a superiority though within the Baha'i faith. Although they they talk about the unity of all religions, it they are better off because they they see they see actually see that they're mm -hmm. the ones who've actually come to realize that everything's all the same. And oh, you silly Christians and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and Jews who who think there's distinctions between what you believe. Like mm -hmm. if only you realized. If only you listened to, you know. The Baha'u'llah, and then you would then you would know, right? Yeah, and in some ways they've they've locked themselves into a place where they can't grow beyond that in their teaching. Uh, and, and the reason I say that is there are no clergy. No. Right? And and 
we talked last week about Sikhism. There is no there is no scholar class mm-hmm. or clergy mm-hmm. that pass down these. There's just the book mm-hmm. and everyone. But but even further, Baha'i would say all thought is up to the interpretation mm. of the listener and everyone is free to interpret it. In fact, there's a, a website specifically devoted to the teachings of Baha'i and furthering Baha'i's teachings and they have a pretty great YouTube channel of of different speakers and everything. It like it so resembles TED Talks. It's hilarious. Oh wow. Uh, but but the interesting thing is at the beginning and end of every video that they have, there's a statement that says this uh, the opinions shared here are those of the speaker and may not reflect the opinion of the channel or the institute of the Baha'i faith. And so so even as they promote their own faith Mm-hmm. They have to disclaim. This might not. Not everyone feels this way, right? Right, Which, because it's that universal. It's that much. Yeah. Uh, in the hands of the interpreter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they they can't even make a truth claim amongst themselves. Mm. It, it just seems like. It seems like they might be getting themselves stuck. Yeah, yeah. I, that 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 could very well be the case. Yeah, because there's. Like their sacred texts, you right. know, they've got there's there's technically a number of them, um, from from the four original leaders, but especially the Baha'u'llah, um, especially his writings. In in those writings, there's a lot of emphasis, like a lot of the emphasis is on moral and ethical issues. Yeah. So a lot of the focus of the faith is do the right thing, like be good to one another. Right. It's which again, that stuff like we, we would echo the Christ had a lot to say about ethics mm-hmm. and the way that we treat one another. But there's a lot of things that just aren't really revealed. Um, and where do you go? Like, where do you, you know, how do you, how do you work th- these things through? Now they do have the universal house of justice, um, which is essentially made up of nine members. They, for all their thing of, we're the only ones who, who have true equality between men and women, only men can be in the universal house of justice. So everybody's got their <laughs> exceptions. Yeah. Um, you know, um, but then, so they have that body kind of, um, it's almost like a court system. It's kind of like where you, where you make an appeal to say like, Hey, we've got this question. If it goes up through the local assemblies, it gets up to there and then they right. kind of determine it. So there is some kind of vetting process. These people aren't clergy. They're elected you know, they're elected to those offices, you know, for reasons, I guess, probably because yeah. they've studied it for a long time and know a lot about it, kind of like, I don't know, yeah, people so who have the title of pastor or something. In, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, there was this, there was this trend in Christian, uh, especially like small groups, okay, where, where people would get into to their small groups and they would ask the questions like, well, what does this passage mean to you? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And... And we've spent a lot of time um, in the last 10 to 15 years undercutting that and saying, no, the question is, what does the passage mean? Yeah. And how does that truth affect me personally? Right. Right. They are very different perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Baha'i faith would say, what does this mean to me? Mm -hmm. 
and and that silly notion of like a poem can mean whatever you want it to mean mm-hmm. um open source criticism of literature kind of a position right. yeah. it's very much what they encourage mm-hmm. right what does this mean to you mm-hmm. there will come conflict from that well I interpret it to be this. This is the the greater good for the most people. If you get into the study of ethics, like what is ethical? Um, right. A lot of times it comes down to, for some, what is the greatest good for the most people, even mm-hmm. if it causes harm to a right. smaller group U- of people? Utilitarianism. Yep. Uh, and, and there is the counsel there for that, mm-hmm. but only at sort of the highest level kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and And even... Even as they would talk about historical characters and that they would see conflict in what they were teaching, that even gets dumped into relativism mm. because the argument is each each prophet along the way, each character along the way was given what they needed for their time and place. Right. And were given new revelation, even if it feels like contradictory revelation. Mm-hmm. Because that's what's needed for time and place. Right. And so instead of being like an absolute truth, mm-hmm. it's all relative truth unless it's the writings of Baha. Right. Well, yeah, because, yeah. Because I cannot see someone coming in and being like, well, so I ha- let's undermine that because yeah. now we have this. Well, because I was curious about that, right? Because of this whole progressive revelation thing, right? Yeah, so, like, which is also borrowed from which, yeah. <laughs> other faiths, but, but including they, ours. Well, even th- that that they would divide history into a series of what they would call dispensations, Yeah, where various prophets or these manifestations of God, you know, enlighten people just a little bit more towards the real true nature of God and how, you know, these newer revelations supersede earlier ones. And they're like... And they, but they would argue that like there are changes in form. So like dietary restrictions maybe existed for a time, but don't anymore or the ceremonies, but the foundational truths of God stay the same. That's what they would, they would argue for. Um, well, Jesus, Jesus revealed some things about the nature of God, mainly that he was God. So mm-hmm. how do you, again, again, I guess if you just kind of, if you just kind of disregard scripture, then if you can just say, well, that was obviously a corruption. So then we don't have to deal with that. Right. Um, and, and, and I, I think it's, necessary that we make a distinction of progressive revelation because we've used that term a lot here. Sure, yeah. Progressive, genuine progressive revelation says we're learning as we go. Mm -hmm. We're not changing course as we go. Right, right. And Baha'i is perfectly comfortable saying, no, we change course as we go Mm. because what's needed for that time and place Mm. is, is a different thing. And if it if it conflicts with what was done previously, that's just because it was a different time and place. Right. Yeah. So what I kind of, I looked into this idea because you're like, yeah, because everything is subject to whoever the most recent manifestation of God was. And according to the Baha'i, it's the Baha'u'llah, right? They don't expect a new manifestation of God for a very, very long time, essentially, because this one was so recent. So, like, if before him the last one was Muhammad and before him the last one was Jesus or Zoroaster or whoever, mm-hmm. right? Like, so for them, they're like, well, no, he's he's our guy and, you know, it'd be really early for another one to show up. So, that it's my understanding anyways, and I, I could be wrong, but it's my understanding just kind of because I was looking into that question. I'm like, yeah. but what if, how would they know if right. the next guy, like, what if Joseph Smith was the next one, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
then how, could he change? Could he change? Maybe Joseph Smith might have been about a decade before this, but but whatever it is, Scientology. What if the guy, you know, like L. Ron Hubbard? L. Ron Hubbard. Like, what if he is? How would they know? How would the people within the Baha'i faith recognize right. that? Hey, all of a sudden we've got another one here, um, you know. And uh, anyway, so it was just kind of a question that I kind of was curious about, mm-hmm. and didn't really find a huge a huge answer for. So one one kind of final bit of theology. I think um, in regards to how they view humans and human life, very big on the equality of human beings. Humans have a soul um, that is able to recognize the truth of the divine through the manifestations. And after your death, your soul is judged based on your deeds, right? So your obedience, your faith, your works of charity. The better you are, uh, the close. So they don't really have heaven and hell like we would understand it. It's more just like the better you are now, the closer your soul will be to God. So the concept of heaven and hell are just nearness and distance mm-hmm. relative to how good or how bad you were in this life is kind of their, um, from what I can understand, is their perspective of, of eternity, um, which is not entirely unique but it's different than how we would see it obviously right we're going to see two separate places where they almost see it as like a spectrum right um yeah which is which is a denial of the most essential element of christian faith even though they would claim that right that mm -hmm. that by grace we are made clean Mm -hmm. it is very works-based yeah of course yeah right yeah and and i i think they would they would push back against that no one wants. No one really wants to be a work-based religion. No, no, no. Um, but a lot of them turn out to be works-based religions, right? Uh, because that's what makes sense to the human heart, right? Right. They they'll go as far as to say, like, the soul has a longing that can only be filled with God, mm-hmm. and the greatest struggles that we have interpersonally and societally are that we are filling these voids with other things that aren't God. Mm-hmm. I've said that from a pulpit. Yep. For right? Sure. That'll for preach. Sure. Yep. And and I think this is also a part of general revelation. Mm-hmm. Right? I think I think I would say to someone, you're on to something. Mm-hmm. Right? And and if you're someone who has like we've we've talked about like because this is a very local thing if you if you are involved in in an inner circle relationship with someone of the high faith what I would say is take those commonalities instead of the differences mm-hmm. and work through them because because they do run out of their sort of logical runway. In the Baha'i faith, when you when you get into this sort of universalism and mm-hmm. and what does it mean, but no one can really know what it means, you can ask enough questions to get to the end of that runway. Mm-hmm. And this notion that you can't fill that void with anything but God, I. But how do you fill it with God? Mm-hmm. And if it's like through worship and devotion, so essentially, I have to make myself lovable. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I have to do enough to make myself lovable, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not then filling myself with God. I'm, I'm scraping and clawing to try to get to a God who has established his static position, mm-hmm. 
and the best I can do is hope to get closer to that. Mm -hmm. That's not the same as filling the void within you mm -hmm. with God. Yeah. Right? Um, and and the only way to do that, we would argue, is for him to gift us with his presence. Yeah. And and grace and mercy have to come into play. Mm -hmm. And if at any point grace and mercy come into play, works and merit have to come off the table. Right. Yeah, because we know, and I, and I, my understanding is the Baha'i people, you know, apart from the manifestations of God, would recognize that people can't be perfect. Right. Right. So, so what, you know, and so, so then it's like, okay, well, but your understanding of God is a, is a perfect God. You acknowledge that apart from these very special people that come around once every 500 or a thousand years, they're perfect, but we're not. How can God tolerate imperfection? We need to be perfected by him. Mm -hmm. He and he can only initiate that process, right? And that's done, you know, through the atonement, right? And and received by grace through faith, right? And so again, there's just it rather than have this kind of this uncertainty of like, well, how good is good enough, right? And and are the things that I'm doing going to satisfy? And how close will my soul be to the one true God in eternity? Like, like did I give enough money away? Did I do enough acts of charity? Did I say my prayers well enough? Did I, whatever, whatever it is. Right. So again, it's, it, it's what we can offer is, is a, is a rest in Christ, a rest that goes beyond what, you know, what we can do. Right. Cause, because it's like, you know, we rest in his completed work um, yeah. and in his grace and in his mercy. Um, and we don't have to worry about proving ourselves, um, you know, and or, or reaching the bar. Or we don't have to worry about how, yeah, how close or how far we'll be from God. Yeah, and, and in a lot of ways, the principles of Baha'i are also shared by universal Unitarianism, who who are not as universal as they claim. They do have seven principles that you have to stand by, <laughs> um, but. A, a lot of these groups, and, and Sikhism is the least of these groups, I, I would say, as far as the whole, like, we accept all faiths, they're all expressions of. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think Sikhism and probably Zen Buddhism would both do the whole, like, those are lesser forms, mm -hmm. and you'll come to a greater consciousness that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they're all essentially the same. Um these these groups that would claim this universal perspective over all religions do it by trying to get rid of things that are um, that are core things mm. and sticking with fringe things, which is exactly the opposite mm. logically as what you would expect. Mm. You would expect there to be core things and then fringe. On the outside, so we talked about how many of these religions have branches and, and denominations, mm -hmm. right? That would be expected, mm -hmm. right? We expect there to be uh, outside of an exhaustive revelation, a full expression of everything that God wants from us. We expect to see Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Common core faith, but how that is best lived. Mm -hmm is up to human interpretation right. and is going to have failings one way or the other. Sure. Yesterday, you and I had, uh, was it yesterday? No, two days ago, we had lunch or breakfast with uh, yep. 
pastors in, in town yep. getting ready for Festival of Praise. Yep. Uh, sometimes people will say, we, we believe different things. We practice church very differently. Mm-hmm. How can we come together as a group? And so one of the things that I always like to point out to that group is we are divided mm-hmm. because of sin and finality of thought. Mm. We can, we've only been given so much, and those things that are up for interpretation, we interpret differently mm. because we're not perfect interpreters. Right. Paul tells us this. We see it as in a mirror dimly lit. Mm-hmm. But one day we'll see us in face-to-face, mm-hmm. which means we can set aside some of those fringe things to talk about the core thing. Mm-hmm. When these groups take this universal perspective, what they have to do is say, no, we'll keep the fringe. Right. You need to dismiss the core. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So even though they would claim the one true God, one world religion, mm-hmm. I would do that for Christianity. Mm. I wouldn't say all of these are different expressions. I would say there is only one true religion. Yep. Um, but what they have to do is to say those fringe expressions, the the morality that comes as an overflow mm. of this knowing, an all-knowing, all-loving God, mm-hmm. that's the core Hmm. The no, the knowledge of that God is the fringe. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying there. Yeah. And because so, they do have they because for all their for all their lack of like nailing down some of these like like these core doctrinal truths, there are some pretty like firm traditions that they hold that would be more fringe stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Like at this age, you do this prayer. Right. And you do it every day. Right. You recite it and you give this percentage of your income after all your bills are paid and everything's done. And you you do this particular 19 days of fasting, right? But then it's like, but God is totally unknowable. Yeah. No, that's right? my point. But we definitely know we need to do 19 days of fasting. Right. Right. It's like, it's like, okay, that's it's interesting that you're like the things that you're very sure about are the things that probably don't matter as much. Right. And so so Matt Chandler does this when he when he talks about um, anti-intellectualism in in the Christian church specifically, mm. he says, "Imagine, imagine that I were to take my wife out on August the fourteenth um, to the nicest seafood restaurant in town, order the best red wine on the menu, yeah. tell her how beautiful her." golden blonde hair is how deep the blue of her eyes are um and how commemorating this day of our marriage uh means more to me every year you hear that and you think well the women are thinking well i wish my husband would do that and the men are like oh man you got it right yeah he said the problem is my wife hates seafood. She would never touch the wine. Our <laughs> anniversary isn't August the 14th, and she has brown hair and brown eyes, Yeah. right? So no matter how good it sounds, yeah. if you don't know the person, yeah. you don't know how to love them. Yeah. And that's where he would say, we, we come at this, even as Christians, to say, well, surely God wants this from me. Mm-hmm. But we don't take time to just dig into the Word mm-hmm. and to study theology and to know God, to know the person well, mm. so that we would have a better understanding of how it is we could love them well. Mm-hmm. And 
and and what I, I think Sikhism does this too, right? This is again where I saw a parallel. Mm-hmm. What they say is we don't know him, but we know that this is what he wants. Right. We know that this is his this is the best expression of his personality, but we don't know him. Right. Yeah. And and you can't do that. Yeah. Right? You've got to know someone mm-hmm. to know what would be in in their favor, what would right. be best for them, what would bring them glory, what would bring them joy, what mm-hmm. would bring them honor. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think uh, these universalist perspectives of these last two groups mm-hmm. and, and secular universalism just has it absolutely flipped on its head. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Knowing the person of God mm-hmm. is the only way you can know how to live that out. Yeah. And if I was to... to be in a friendly debate with a Baha'i, that would be my first question. Yeah. If we can't know who God is, how can we know that these things are the best expressions? Yeah. Yeah. And the beauty of the, the Christian faith in light of that challenge is that Jesus Christ is not just a manifestation of divine truth or, or, or a channel or a conduit mm-hmm. of power and truth from God, that he actually is God. Right. Like he was and he continues to be. Right and it takes on human flesh, so so that even more than he was, even more than he was known under the old covenant, that he can be he can be known, known. He could be touched, and will be when we see him again, mm-hmm. because our eternal state is not some spiritual one, but it is tangible and physical. It's going to be great. Like why would our why would our to to lose the physical aspect of our lives and all the joys and good things that come from that? How is, how is an eternity divorced from that better, right? It should be greater in all ways, I mm-hmm. think, right? So yeah. so an eternity without bodily resurrection doesn't make sense. Like, it it just doesn't, it wouldn't be better, I think. Like, it couldn't be better. No, I, I think what it would say, I, I think what it would say is uh, the physical world wasn't the expression of God's glory that he intended it to be. Right. And so he had to just toss that. Yeah. But Jesus proves to us that, no, there there can be a physical. There, if God himself yeah. will take on flesh, then the physical things that he's made can be good, can be redeemed. And Paul hammers on this as well, mm-hmm. right? To Is it 2 Corinthians? Where he's just like, what mm-hmm. are you talking about? There's no bodily resurrection. Oh, yeah, Of course yeah. there's a bodily resurrection, right? Yeah. What would be the point of physical <laughs> creation if there's no bodily resurrection? Yeah, exactly. It was true for Christ, and it'll be true for us. Mm-hmm. Right? Amen. Yeah. Anything else you want to throw in? No, I'm good. Let me, let me scan my notes real quick, see if I have any tidbit that got skipped over and come back to. Oh, they don't get involved in politics. Got that note down. They don't yeah. do politics. There you go. Except I think there was like the president of Samoa was Baha'i, so I don't know how that works. Hmm. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know anyway, either. anyway, yeah, so there's, there's Baha'i. Thanks for listening. This uh, podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada, and is produced by Alex Walker. Thanks for listening. Bye. Wow. <laughs> 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 <laughs>